Thanks for tuning into Journey. Everyone is welcome at the table. We are a community being shaped by Jesus, experiencing and practicing humility, curiosity, belonging, and generosity. We hope to be a people who embrace the way of Jesus by listening first, speaking second, loving freely, and giving generously. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Mike. Oh my, oh, oh my sweet wife. Oh, look at this. I'm, I'm too weak to carry that stuff up myself, so we're specially trained assistants. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm seeing kids in the room. We actually have a children's ministry going on right now and a youth group coffee house. But if I were you and you're under the age of like 15, I would definitely stay in here because I am super interesting. All right, so you're making the right choice by staying here, and um, the next half hour will go really well if you just pretend to enjoy it, all right? Giddy up. Now, uh, happy Pro Bowl Sunday. Really excited about, um, yep, not at all excited about any of that. Um, Next week is Super Bowl, which evidently is a religious holiday now. Uh, Anyway, we're glad that you're here. And I uh, want to welcome you specifically, and I want to welcome this young man right here. Sir, could you come up and bring your Bible just for a second? Um, I want you, yeah, yeah, welcome, welcome this young man. All right, just go ahead and stand, stand right up here. Now, now, a man comes in, and first of all, the hair, right? Jealous of any hair, so I love, I mean, strong, and then a little bit of class to the place, right? You know what I'm saying? Dressed appropriately for the weather. But the thing that really got my attention was this. Yes. Now, I don't, has it been opened? Yeah. Okay, okay, just checking. This thing, look at this thing. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. That's all I wanted to say. What's your name? Cam. Cam? It's my first Sunday here. It's your first Sunday here? Attaboy. We, they identified you walking in. They're like, hey, this is a new guy, so let's talk about his Bible. Um, I mean, I was just impressed. I, I was just, imp- Cam, I was just impressed. That's Nick Beret right next to you. He's a good guy. All right, so Cam, why don't you and I have a conversation for the next 30 minutes, all right? Love that. If Cam ever does return, he will sit in the back row. There's no question about that. But I mean, you don't, you don't come marching into a church with a Bible that is this big and not think someone's going to bless you for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a big deal, literally. Now, I'm going to open my small Bible today. (laughs) So we're in the middle, not even in the middle, we're in the beginning of a series of conversations around um, a text called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And just by way of review, this text fits into... The ministry of Jesus, in chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus says, and he kind of encapsulates his message. He says, "Um, I have come to proclaim this message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And remember, if, I mean, except for Cam, um, if you remember, it was incredible, incredible sermon, Cam. It was so good. And my wife doesn't say that often. She usually falls asleep. 
Um, but no, it, it was, it's the idea that, that kingdom, whenever you see the word kingdom, it's a, it has three elements. A king who forms a community uh, and invites that community to gracious, graciously live under the king's reign. And, uh, and that the kingdom isn't about us going to heaven. It's about the kingdom of heaven coming near. And it's not about what's happening in our hearts, like accepting Jesus into our hearts. It's about a new social reality called the kingdom of God um, and what that kingdom is going to be like in contrast, sorry about your chiefs, to all the other kingdoms. I know, she was so excited. She had a chief's jersey on last week, um, and it's not on today. Anyway, um, and then, and then uh, Matthew, Matthew records that Jesus sits up on a mountainside, and he sees the crowds, and um, he begins to speak blessings. They're called beatitudes, but they're often misunderstood. He's not talking about nine different people when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. He's talking about one kind of person. And that one kind of person is drawn from all these Old Testament categories of somebody who is not advantaged in current circumstances, and so they, their hunger and hope is for Yahweh alone. They have room for God and what God's about to do in this Jesus. That's what distinguishes these people. Now, the problem is in our English Bibles, we have a paragraph break, a heading, and an indent suggesting that somehow Jesus is moving on to a different topic. He is not. He's still beatituding when we get to this next part, as we'll demonstrate. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Very familiar for those of us who've been in the church for any time. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I want to go through this um, because, go ahead, Nick, and, and put up the, that couplet. Uh, because obviously he's repeating himself um, and using the, uh, uh, the same form twice. So the first sentence, you are the salt of the earth, and then a warning to not lose saltiness. You are light of the world, and then a warning to not cover the light, right? This little light of mine, I'm gonna. I'm gonna let it shine, guys. That's what he's saying here. He probably sang this part in the original uh, audience, but um, we're not sure about that. So dumb. Um, but I, we're going to march through this sentence. Now, what's the first word that each sentence here begins with? Yeah, as good Americans, we think that means me individually in a 21st century American context with Christianity that is designed to get me to heaven. Correct? That is not the you. The you is second person plural. It's you all, that you all have a great way of capturing that, that the North does not. Okay? You all is who we're talking about here, and who is the you all? Well, the Amha Man! Ah, so beautiful and wise. The Amha Aretz, that is a, that is a phrase that the elite would use to describe the people of the land, the riffraff. Um, in uh, chapter 4 earlier, remember they're described this way. This is who Jesus is talking to. Nick, there it is. 
news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought uh, to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. So this is the crowd, right? These are people, look, look at me, they have nothing to offer. In fact, they're there to ask for something. And it's to those people, the crowd, that Jesus begins to proclaim the eschatological promises given to Israel are now bestowed upon you because you hunger and thirst for the work of Yahweh and are open to the new thing he's about to do. A huge, huge deal. So the crowd consists of suffering, severe seizures, the paralyzed. Next, it consists of, um, oh, I thought we had poor in spirit up there, Nick. Was there a poor in spirit reference? Nope, and it's amazing. Um, it, it, it's as if that the devil himself, and it was there. It was there, Justy, and it just disappeared. I, how can that not be spiritual warfare? Um, we all know the salvation of people rests on the clarity of the slide presentation, so it's a big deal. But the people who are making up the crowd fall into categories like poor in spirit and mourning and hungering and thirst for righteousness and persecuted. I mean, this is not a group of religious all-stars. They have nothing to offer. They are not elite. They are not in power. They are not well-educated whatsoever, right? So when we get back to that couplet, Nick, this is Nick's first weekend doing this. Poor guy. Cam, you and Nick ought to hang out afterwards and just go grab a beverage for adults. Um... <laughs> Not that we encourage that kind of thing, but sometimes after an experience like this. So who's the you? Is it us? No. He's talking to an historical community of people who have nothing to offer. Correct? Now, what's the next word? Are. What tense is that? Present tense. So is Jesus doing something new? Nope, he's still pronouncing blessing. But in this case, what he's pronouncing is a vocation and an identity. He's not giving them something to do, okay? He's pronouncing an identity that is tied to a vocation. And that vocation is represented by the word salt and by the word light, okay? They're not told to be salt and light. They're told this group of broken misfits is told they are salt and light. Do you see the difference? So nowhere are we commanded to be this. This is a blessing he is bestowing, right? Now, what's the blessing? Let's talk about salt first. When it says salt of the earth, as we talked about last week, earth and land are the same word. And so very rarely does Jesus talk about the earth as in the whole sphere. When he says the word land, he means the land of Israel. And salt, so he's talking about being salt of the land, this group of people being salt of the land. Now, if you've been to Israel, have any, have any of you floated in the Dead Sea? Not of course Cam, dude. And the amazing thing, it's so thick that his Bible even floats. I mean, that's the thing that's amazing. And I, I floated too, so I mean, you know, it can hold anything. Now, um, <laughs> but what, it, what, what makes the, the water so dense? 
salt. And so there are just salt deposits all over the shores of the Dead Sea. And there's some salt that can be used. Um, and then there's some salt, particularly salt that's been buried, that is, has been contaminated by the soil. And it's good for nothing, literally, that you cannot use it. Once it's been diluted, you can't bring it back. Now, often people say, okay, what does it mean to be salt? Well, it means you flavor things, and it means you like preserve food and so on. And, and certainly that's true. Salt was ubiquitous in first century culture, absolutely. But there's a religious connotation that I think Jesus is meaning when he talks about salt that is all over the Old Testament. Um, let's start in Leviticus, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to go with Leviticus, and then Numbers, and then Second Chronicles. Yep, second, it's been a while for Second Chronicles, right? I mean, First Chronicles gets the love, but Second Chronicles really is where it's at. Leviticus 2, we're talking about grain offerings. Season all your grain offerings with? Don't leave, and then what's the phrase? The salt of the what? The salt of the covenant. So we're not talking about just adding a little seasoning. The salt of the covenant is interesting. Don't forget to leave that out, or don't leave that out of any grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. Or in Numbers, though, this was just addressed to the priesthood. He's talking, God's talking about um, the, the portion when people offered food at the temple, the priest got a portion of that. And so their meat, those who offer, their meat is to be yours, priests, just as the breast of the wave offering and the right thigh are yours. Whatever is set aside from the holy offerings the Israelites present to the Lord, I give to you and your sons and daughters as your perpetual share. It is an everlasting covenant of what? So evidently we have an everlasting covenant of salt. And then, Second Chronicles, ladies and gentlemen. Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt? So evidently, yes, salt was used to flavor and to preserve, but salt was also a reminder of the covenant. So my reading of this, and there are other people who take it differently, my reading of this is what Jesus is saying to these Amha Aretz kind of people is that you are to be the reminder to the rest of Israel of the covenant. The rest of Israel has given itself over some to being enriched by those by being close to those in power who are Roman, some by leaving entirely and focusing on being religiously pure, some on judging the nation of Israel out of their own self-righteousness, others just beginning to advocate armed revolt. But here you are, the people who have nothing to offer. You are to be salt to the land. You are to be the reminder to the rest of Israel about what it means to be Israel. Because the vocation given to Israel was to be the visible representation of the covenant God made with his people. So to be the salt of the land is to be the reminder to the rest of Israel about what it means to be Israel. Makes sense so far. When we talk about light, now this one's pretty, pretty easy. This is all over the book of Isaiah. A light to the nations. So uh, it's not world there, it's nation. So listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out for me. My justice will be a what? A light to the nations. Um, in other words, the nations, there'll be a contrast between Israel and the nations. 
And that contrast is supposed to be positive in a way that illuminates and draws people to Israel. Make sense? Isaiah 60, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Matthew even uses this image of light. He quotes from Isaiah 9. Right before we get into the sermon, he says, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake of the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, and a light has dawned. So even Jesus' ministry, Jesus himself was called light as he began to preach throughout the Galilee. So when he talks to his disciples, and these aren't even his disciples yet, all of them, right? They're just a crowd that has nothing to offer. When he talks to them and he says, you are the salt of the land, and you are the light to the nations, he's giving them first an identity that they are to embody, right? Not a list of things to do. But secondly, what he's doing is he's framing their identity around the traditional vocation given to the nation of Israel itself. It's an incredibly messianic claim that Jesus, the king, is now reforming a remnant of Israel around himself with him at the center. But notice the people who are proclaimed salt and the people who are proclaimed light have done nothing except show up to listen and be healed. But what do they all have in common? They all have room in their heart for the new thing God is doing. They're not so taken in by the status quo that they're content. These are all the people who, are, who find no remedy in traditional Judaism, who've been marked off and cast aside. Now, this next section of about 10 minutes is going to be a little spicy. And, uh, and by spicy, I mean I'm going to say some things that you might disagree with. And I want you to know your disagreement is totally welcome and encouraged. Okay? I look at my goal as a teacher, not to tell you always what the text means, but to stimulate curiosity so that we might go and engage in conversations about this later. So this first part was just saying, hey, here's some context historically about what I think this is getting at. But this next part is, here's what I think this means, and I don't think it means what we all think it means. And whenever I go into these spaces, I don't mean to do that to be provoking, I just mean that to stimulate curiosity for folks to go, huh, I wonder if that's true. Because sometimes the traditional readings of these texts that we were handed aren't always reflective of what the text is actually saying. Are you with me? So if you disagree, man, that is totally welcome. The goal is not for you to agree with me, okay? The goal is to immerse yourself in the text. So it's part of my job in doing that is to make the text, um, not make it, but show that I think oftentimes it's misunderstood. So there are a couple of distortions of this passage I want to mention, all right? And here goes. Here goes the spice. Number one. This is, I do not think, but I will begin speaking in pronouncements, I don't think this is a text that mandates individual evangelism. This is written to a community, and it is written to a community that is a charter towards an identity. 
right? Even the passive phrase, let your light shine, is not something to do. It's simply don't cover it or don't lose, don't uh, contaminate the salt that you already are. Right? So the exhortation is to form a kind of community that functions as salt to the land and light to the nations. And I've heard this used, and, and I've heard that used really in a pressure sort of way, like, you are the only Bible someone's ever going to see. Like, there was this old song by Ray Boltz that was like, um, Thank you for giving to the Lord. I was someone who was changed. Like you're getting, you're going to heaven and you're seeing people. And like, because you prayed in Sunday school, this person accepted Jesus. And I'm like, maybe, maybe all of that's true. But the pressure that puts on a bunch of people who are demon possessed and full of seizures and, right? I mean, it's like, wow. So I'm the only hell they may see too. I mean, you're just like, come on. I don't think that's what he's doing here. He's doing something, it's called eschatological. Eschatology is the study of when God comes in his fullness, what will it be like? He is forming a community that begins to demonstrate when God is charged over the earth, what human life will be like. And this group of misfits is where he starts that project. Right? That's just me. I don't think that's what it's saying. And the second one is even spicier. I don't think this is a passage that is teaching the people of God to look at the world and to try to take it over. I don't think this is a passage that's saying, hey, you Amha Aret, make sure you fight for traditional values and be the guardians of morality in your culture. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. Not at all. The images of salt and light were invitational images. They were not compelling images. And not only that, but if you put together the poor in spirit, the persecuted, right, the mourning, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you get all of them in a room and they decide to form a group. What kind of group are they going to form? Are they going to form a power-hungry group? No, they're going to form a humble group of people who out of gratitude for the salvation they've just tasted are interested primarily in their own fidelity. Correct? And, and this, this brings up, I think, a really important point. What is the gift the church is to give? Because immediately we want to translate this to, okay, well, we're called to be salt and light too. Okay, let's say, that's, let's say that's legit. We can just take salt and light and apply it to the church. Then how are we invited to be salt and light? What is the gift the church is to give the world? Well, according to this text, I can tell you what it's not. It's not incredible worship music. It's not great sermons. It's not slick programming or celebrity platforms. Right? It's not good theology. It's not our partisan politics. The gift the church gives the world is the formation, the visible formation of a community of weakness that witnesses to the reality of the kingdom of God. The good news of the church to the world isn't about how great the church is. And then so much of this, so much of what I have done is build churches. That's never been the focus. Churches are outposts of the kingdom. The kingdom's the point because the kingdom is the work of the king. And all that other stuff, worship and sermons, and that, that can help or 
It can contaminate the salt because it becomes the focus. This, this salt and light community is a community of weakness. This is not beauty. This is not strength. This is not polish. This is not well-educated elite. These are a group of people who share a need and a desire that God would do something new. These are a group of people, if you want to mark it to today, oh, here's the spice. These are a group of people because Israel did this, right? Israel would put their hope in politics. Israel would put their hope in economic agreements or political alliances through marriage, a la Solomon, right? Israel would do this all the time and God would rebuke them. And as Americans, we have to be reminded that the core job of what it is to be the church is to live in weakness and that weakness demands that we believe the way of Jesus works in the world, the way of forgiveness is better than the way of revenge. The way of blessing is better than cursing somebody on social media. The way of service is better than the way of greatness. And all of us will agree with this. And none of us live in these ways. Or at least consistently. Or maybe I'm just projecting onto you. The invitation is for us to gather as the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, the peacemaker, the hungry and thirsty for righteousness, and become a community who grieves, expresses sorrow, pursues fidelity, and exhibits hope. That's the salt and light community. The salt and light community is in a community that trusts in politics to bring about the kingdom, or trusts in the economy to bring about the kingdom, or trusts in our military to bring about the kingdom. All those things are part of human life and often they're great. But the church gets contaminated when we confuse the kingdom with those things. And so, of course we're invited to have political opinions and of course we're invited to shop and earn money and of course we're invited right, to have protection and safety. But those American values have become so elevated that they're almost indistinguishable from the kind of community the church is to be. And that's why so many of us aren't big fans. Because we look at the American church, this, me included, and go, that's just American values baptized with Jesus language. Right? We don't value the meek. We value the self-important. The poor in spirit, no, 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 we love experts. Right, the morning, nope, every service has to end in a pretty red bow. And I'm beating up myself. I love this community and I think, and one of the reasons why I'm so committed to what's happening here, is there is a community of people who really desire to be a part of the thing that God's doing. And we've tried all the other things. But when you read about salt and light, I just don't think that's the invitation. I even made, I, I did a church building campaign that I named Salt and Light back in my mega church days. I, I didn't know any better. I obviously didn't read the text. Because <laughs> if I would have, well, hello, Seth, I would have built something for the poor, right? I mean, you just go, dang. But it's, it's incredible to have the opportunity to now 
to work in a community of people to say, okay, let's try it differently. Let's try it as a community of weakness. Let's try it as a bunch of people who are honest and we don't pretend. The Christian life is not about pretending. Let's try it as a community who isn't impressed by spectacle. Let's try it as a community who is learning to believe the way of Jesus works in the world. And so to do that, there are these corporate disciplines that we inhabit. Oh, let me, let me just stop here. Ellen, do you have any questions about this? Oh, hello, Seth. Any thoughts? Why was it? I don't know. That's a great cam. With, I mean, of course it's cam. Cam asking the question, well, why was salt a symbol? No idea. No idea. Don't question the Bible, my son. <laughs> no, that's a great question. I have no idea what it symbolized. I just found it interesting that covenant of salt is all over the place. So you wouldn't just think seasoning in the first century, you'd be like, well, no, that's, there's a religious connotation there. Great question. Any others? Look at that, talking in the middle of this thing. Any other thoughts? Clarifications? Oh, that is a fantastic question. Because it says when Jesus saw the crowds, he pulled his disciples. Right? Ah, oh, so good. And the answer is both. If you've been to the traditional Mount of Beatitudes, and again, are we sure this is where he did it? No. But Galilee, there are all these amphitheaters that are natural um, uh, amphitheaters on, around the lake where you can sit up on a hill and speak to hundreds. My wife. You looked up why salt is... Okay, hold on a second. We all know that you can trust everything on the internet. So, okay. What's the internet say, my love? Salt is used as a preservative, which means it's an instrument for making things last longer. So when we say covenant of salt, it simply means the covenant is perpetual and not to be broken, just has salt, how salt preserves, as in biblical days, friendship and loyalty are salt. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, beautiful, wise, and technologically proficient with the Google. Yes, Seth. <laughs> oh, my. Okay. Okay. Not yet, Sethy. Okay, Seth. Later. Uh, yeah. Okay. Seth brought a poster of the musical Newsies. Newsies was a movie by Disney with Christian Bale. It became a Broadway musical, which became a movie. The movie was about the musical. So, yes, he has the picture of the movie that was the musical that was a movie. Okay? Just so we're clear. All right, any last thoughts before we wrap this sucker up? Yes, sir.
Yeah. And yeah. Oh, that is wonderful. You know, man, such a great point. Yes and no. Obviously, there are benevolence things and room in the end and those sorts of things. But, but so much of the church, if it's healthy, is rethinking its approach to the poor. Because typically, um, what we've done, and we've done this in missions too, is we've kind of come in as the rescuer and we've not come in as co-learners in reciprocal long-term mutual relations. And so um, if you've ever read like, oh, what is that charity book? Helping Hurts. Yeah, so, so yes, I'm in completely, but we just don't, we wanna be super thoughtful and not disempowering in that context. So we've been slowly considering, okay, what are justice initiatives around us that could use attention. So, yes. And we can talk more about that. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Room in the Inn is, is what we are doing. Room in the Inn. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, the, yeah, implied in this. Okay, I don't know who you are, but you are very smart. <laughs> Implied in this is that the bearers of the kingdom are these kinds of people. The not spectacular, the not in power, the not, yeah, absolutely right. So there's a sense, not only the poor need us, and, but we need the poor. Yes, sir. For community what? Yes. That is such a great question. Okay, you guys. No, I'm serious. This is fantastic. Yes, absolutely. So what would a meeting look like of a church if it were a group of these people? What would a meeting look like? And I would, I, I would say a couple of things. First... I think one of the things a lot of us are waking up to is that the American way of doing church isn't the biblical way of doing church. Often it's just an American way of doing church. And that can be good or bad, right? If, it, it's, if it's valuing spectacle and valuing flash and beauty, excellence, platform, all of those sorts of things, ah, I think we're right to be skeptical. I think the kind, of the kind of community we're looking for is a community of grief, of sorrow, of fidelity, and hope. And that can look a lot of different ways. So the current forms, whether it be a worship and a sermon or small groups, those can facilitate that. I've seen that happen in really healthy ways so that the group, like the activities don't look super different from how we would normally do it, but the emphasis and focus is what's unbelievably different. The other thing I've, I've seen is uh, you always, one of the tests I always have for a church is, is the church the point of the church or is the church pointing to something bigger? 
And the church of the Beatitudes, the church of the poor in spirit, will be a, a church that points to something bigger. I've been to church services overseas, and they, they may have communion, and they may have a little singing, and they may have someone read and interpret the Bible. But there's a whole different flavor of humility that just is all recognizing nothing of value is happening here unless Jesus of Nazareth is here revealing himself. So first and foremost, for me, it's an inner disposition. So I used to, and I'm, if I'm over-answering, I'm sorry. This is so wonderful. For me, I used to get so nervous. I used to do five services a weekend, and I felt like I had to be on. It was exhausting. The next day, I would eat poorly, sleep poorly. It took me till Wednesday or Thursday to recover. Here, one of the reasons why I'm super informal and casual is because I, I'm done trying to be polished and a good speaker. I'm just done with that. I want to be a part of a community that's learning things together, and that's why I love this sort of back and forth. So I don't know that I have a prescriptive way of might, how might this look. I think anytime the, the Lord's Supper is emphasized over a sermon, anytime people are encouraged to be honest, anytime people are transparent about money and power and how it works in the church, I think all of those things are very, very beautiful things. And if you get a sense from the church that the agenda for the church is to be a blessing to the world and to not just sit in judgment of its enemies, man, I think we're on to something when, we, when we're there. Now, what a great, thank you, sir. What a great question. So I tell you what, we're running out of time. Um, I, I'm, just, I'm just floored by you all. Thank you. Um, it, is, it, it gives me great joy to explore these things because I'm a fellow struggler. I've, I'm guilty of all of what not to do. Um, but I'm passionate that we get a chance to do it and try it differently. So as always, we're gonna uh, bring the team up and we're just gonna spend some time responding. And there's so many good thoughts, and I just can just imagine the, what's God, what God is doing and kind of stirring um, up our imaginations and our passions and what this might look like. And so there are a couple of things we do. Around the room, there are four stations. Um, at those stations is the Lord's Supper. Um, we do it in still kind of a COVID-friendly way um, with, these, with these pieces of bread and cup. And you're all invited uh, to take the Lord's Supper and to take it not only as the gift of Jesus that it is to us who are weak, but this is also the job description of us as followers of Jesus. We're, we don't have anything to offer, right? We're, we're people who just come to the table grateful, but then we leave the table with a vocation in the same way those disciples had a vocation too, that we come in honesty and realness, test and witnessing to the reality that Jesus is Lord. And then we have uh, pieces of paper around the room that look very much like this. And uh, we are a community that, that wants to grow in praying for each other. And so a whole bunch of us take time every week to write down things that we're grateful for, things that are hurting, things that we would love prayer for. And then we gather during the week to, to pray for these things. All right, so you're invited to all of that. Would you close your eyes? because we know God does his best stuff in the dark. That's in there too. It's in there too. Jesus, I pray that you would meet and respond to the faith and the hunger in this room. Lord, that you would do a mighty work 
that you really would, that your spirit would draw near to us in our failure and imperfection and addiction and doubts and screw-ups. Lord, we don't want to hide those things anymore. We recognize that you meet us there and that you've bestowed upon us a vocation that just requires us to be honest. And God, as a couple of people have mentioned, we want to be a community that blesses the poor and the poor in spirit. We want to be a community that walks humbly before you. And so, Father, there's a part we play, of course, but we ask that you would send your spirit to open our eyes, purify our hearts, and help us to live in deep and abiding thankfulness. To that end, Lord, we ask your blessing now on the ways in which we respond. In the name of Jesus, our Christ, amen and amen.